All right, well, as you see on the screen right up here, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 13. We've been in the Gospels for several months, and now uh, we're going all the way back to the beginning. So the first book in your Bible in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 13. And I'm doing it a little different today, so I'm not going to have every verse on the screen. So I encourage you to grab a copy of the Bible, whether it's a hard copy, like I prefer, or if you're using your phone uh, hopefully you can use that without being distracted by other things. But Genesis 13 is where we're eventually going to land here in just a few minutes. So I'll start with maybe a little bit of an experiment on you, and you can try this at home if you want to. But just take a second, close your eyes, take a deep breath. And I'm going to give you one word, and I want you to just think of whatever image comes to mind when I give you this word. And here you go. Here's the word. Peace. What comes to mind? What do you imagine? What mental picture do you have when you hear the word peace? All right, you can open your eyes. Don't fall asleep. Most of you are watching this in the morning. Um, A guy named Michael Ramsden did this experiment on an audience one day. Close your eyes. Think of the word peace. and, And then he asked them afterwards, what did you think of? And he got some audience participation. And some people said they thought of a lake. Like they were just sitting beside a nice, still, quiet lake. One person said they pictured themselves being in a field full of beautiful flowers with trees in the background. Another person said they pictured themselves being in the mountains, snow-capped mountains. And on and on they went. And then finally he said, do you notice there's one thing missing from all of these images of peace? People. They, when they thought of peace... They completely eliminated people out of the equation. So why is that? Why, I don't know what you thought of when you thought of peace, but why is it that when we think of peace or when that audience thought of peace, the first thing they did was eliminate other people? Probably because people cause problems in our lives. And I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about that today as you see from uh, the title slide here, People Problems. I don't know how your home life is right now. But for us, we've had some ups and downs. There have been some times where there's been a little bit of screaming and crying and yelling and slamming doors. Maybe your family is like this. And we've, that's also been mixed in with some good times. We've, we've had plenty of good memories uh, that we have made. We've had some spontaneous fun. There's been a lot of laughter. We've grown closer as a family. Yet there's some tension. So it's all mixed together right now. And I'm hoping, I'm guessing that I'm not alone in this. I'm assuming that most families are like this. And maybe some of you are are sitting at home in your living rooms and you're looking at each other and you're nodding yes because you've experienced this tension. And that's just the way life is. A guy named Dr. Alan Godwin wrote a book called People Problems, which is where I'm borrowing this title from. He's a licensed counselor and uh, one of the, the basic idea of the book is that once you experience people in your life, which we all do, there's going to be conflict. It's just natural. Why is there conflict when we're around people? It's because we're all imperfect. We're all flawed human beings and we have a way, the closer we get to each other, we have a way of pushing each other's buttons. We have a way of irritating each other. And when that happens, usually that results in a little bit of conflict. Uh, Dr. Godwin says in the book that relationships fulfill us the most, but they can also hurt us the most. So if you think about it, a few weeks ago I talked about John 15 and how Jesus called his disciples friends. And he's tapping into something 
that is deeply human because God has created us in a way to desire friendships and companionships. And we all desire relationships, whether it's with friends or family. But the closer we get to people, we are opening ourselves up to the potential of being hurt by those people. They can Relationships fulfill us the most, but they can also hurt us the most. Dr. Godwin in this book says there's three things that are true about dealing with people. Truth number one is that close relationships involve conflict. It's just true. As I mentioned from the very beginning, uh, we have a way of pushing each other's buttons. We're all imperfect. We all have a gap from uh, how mature we are to how mature we should be. And so conflict will naturally arise. And he said truth number two is that relationships work well only when conflict is handled well. So it's, there, it's, there's a way, to, it's achievable to have healthy conflict. But he said truth number three is we naturally handle conflict poorly. There's the bad news. We all have this kind of reactive self that can come out, the ugly part of us, that when we're irritated, when we feel like we've been wronged or somebody has hurt us, we react immediately and we don't always handle conflict very well. This is not just true for families, but it's true for your work life or your school life, which some of you are probably really missing people right now. And I'll talk more about that here in just a few minutes. But I want you to be encouraged a little bit if you've experienced some family problems. Because as you read the book of Genesis, there are plenty of people problems and family problems. I'm going to spend the next few weeks, Lord willing, I mean, each week is, is different because we never know what's happening in our country. But as long as we're, we're doing this, this online worship, we're going to spend a few weeks looking at some of the people problems that we see in the book of Genesis. And earlier this week, I just scanned over every chapter in Genesis And initially, I listed out every family problem or people problem that you could see. But to simplify it, basically, you start off with blame. Adam and Eve, they sin. Adam blames Eve. And then you get to Genesis chapter 4, and Cain murders Abel. And there's anger and murder. And then that continues to happen in the book of Genesis. There's jealousy. People make bad decisions. They deceive each other. There's, you know, Esau vowed revenge on his brother Jacob. There's evil intentions. There's all kinds of people problems in the book of Genesis. And there's plenty of family life tension or family problems. There's a lot of sibling rivalry. Uh, There's some jealousy of co-wives, which hopefully that's not something that we experience today, but we can relate to jealous feelings. And then there's favoritism. There's just flat out bad parenting. In Genesis, if you know, for example, you look at Abraham, he has two sons. He has uh, Isaac and Ishmael, but he ditches one of them. He sends Hagar and Ishmael to live out in the wilderness. Well, Isaac grows up and has two sons of his own, Jacob and Esau. But like Esau modeled from his father, he favors one of them. He likes Esau more than he likes Jacob. Well, Jacob deceives Esau. He gets the birthright and the blessing. And then Jacob grows up and he has 12 sons, but he only gives a coat to one son. And you could read through, oh, there's a lot of stuff that I'm leaving out right now. But I told my wife earlier this week that if you remember this, the show that used to come out on daytime TV called the Jerry Springer show, that you have enough material in the book of Genesis to make up several seasons of the Jerry Springer show. There's all kinds of people problems, and family problems in the book of Genesis. So 
in my opinion, and I've said this before, their story is our story. The world that we now live in, there's all sorts of medical advancements and we can travel and communicate and we just live in a much different world than the world of the stories and the characters we read about in the book of Genesis. But with all our advancements, we still struggle with the same types of problems. So their story is our story. And for the next few minutes, I just want to look at Genesis chapter 13. I want to hone in on the story between Abraham and his nephew Lot. And I'll give you, I'm going to start in a verse, around verse 4 here in just a second, but I'll give you a little bit of context. In Genesis chapter 12, because of a famine, Abraham and his whole family, who've been called by God, they have to go to Egypt. And while they're in Egypt, they get very wealthy. And so they come back home in Genesis 13, and they got a lot of stuff. And Lot, for some reason, is just kind of tagging along with Abram. We, we call him Abraham, but at this point in Genesis, he was still Abram. And so they come back, and in verse 4, they come back to the place where he had made an altar at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. That's an important piece in understanding this chapter and this context here, is that when Abram goes back, he returns to the foundation of his faith. He returns to where God had first called him and where he made an altar for God. You know, Abram does not get everything perfect. He makes some mistakes along the way. But Scripture still refers to Abraham, Abram, as a friend of God, right? And he still walks faithfully with God. He does not give up. He perseveres in his faith. And here he returns to where his faith was first formed. But here comes the problem in verse 5 and 6. Now Lot, Abraham's nephew, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. So that the land could not support both of them living together, for their possessions were so great that they could not live together. Where you have people, you have problems. Where you have people who have lots of possessions, you have a lot of problems. So there's definitely a problem between Abram and Lot. Abram's people and Lot's people. And here's what we're told, the detail that we're given. In verse 7 it says, There was strife between the herders of Abram's livestock and the herders of Lot's livestock. There was strife, or some translations say quarreling. Tensions are rising, conflicts are increasing, things are not going great. Abram was initially called to be a blessing to all nations, and he knows he's not going to be able to be a blessing to all nations if his own family and his own people can't get along with each other. That's part of this John 17 passage that we've now read twice for you. Jesus prays for us to be one. And here they were very, they were, it was very dangerous for them of becoming divided and disunified. Right? So there's strife, there's quarreling going on. And that's something that we can relate to today as well. I was reading a story that happened back in December of 2017. A man in Wisconsin went in to get his haircut one day. And he sat down at the barber chair, and the guys, the barber's giving him a haircut, and the two of them are not getting along at all. And they start to argue with each other, and things got so heated that the barber took the clippers and shaved a bald spot in the customer's hair. 
And then he took the scissors and started you know, snipping at this guy's ear. So this guy gets up and people are having to separate him in the barbershop and he calls the police and the police come and arrest this barber and he's charged with mayhem and disorderly conduct. Where you have people, there you have problems. I, I read a story earlier this year that happened in North Carolina at a high school. So just a few months ago when people were still allowed to be around each other, uh, it was a high school wrestling match and these two students were wrestling on the mat and the referee was down there with them, but the real fight was taking place, you could probably guess, in the stands between the parents. So as tensions were rising during this wrestling match, one dad let his emotions get out of control and he left the stands and he ran onto the mat and he tackled his son's opponent. I've actually seen the video on the internet. You could look that up and find it. But when something like that happens, it leads to more physicality and that dad was arrested and he was charged for assault or simple assault and disorderly conduct. Where you have people, there you have problems. Now, you hear two short little examples like that, modern day examples, and you may think, well, that's extreme. And hopefully it is. Hopefully you and I would never let our emotions get out of control and react like that barber did or like that dad did. But we know it's possible. We've seen things like this happen in our own lives. Maybe you've seen it in your family. We just, back to what Dr. Alan Godwin wrote, we don't always handle conflict very well. We get angry and it gets out of control. And I think this is what Abram is dealing with here and what he's recognizing as a wise person that the strife and the quarreling that's taking place is not going to get any better. So there needs to be some sort of solution. So in verse 8 of Genesis 13, Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, between your herders and my herders, for we are kindred, we're close family. This doesn't need to happen. Abram is wise enough to recognize the conflict and to look to the future and say something needs to be done about this. I don't know how you've handled conflict with your family over the last few weeks or over the last month or so, but as I mentioned, we've had some tension and some conflict, and there's been some times where the solution, or at least the temporary solution in our home, is to say, go to your room and just spend a few minutes there. Uh, there have been some nights where I told Jessica, look, you take care of the kids. i got to go out for a walk. I need my space. Sometimes we just need to separate to calm things down. Well, that's sort of Abram's solution here in verse 9. He says, is not the whole land before you? We have all of this land that God has given us, so here's his solution. Separate yourself from me. And I think he's firm, but he's being polite here. He's saying, here's a solution to our problem. We need our space. My people need their space. Your people need their space. So he says in verse 9, if you take the left hand, I'll go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Abram is being a reasonable peacemaker here. And if we look forward to the New Testament in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, Jesus says, blessed are who? Blessed are the peacemakers. And Abram is being a peacemaker, but he's also being a servant. He's putting the needs of others above the needs of his own. He was the, the elder here. Lot is his nephew, but he gives Lot the first choice. He says, wherever you go, I'll go the opposite direction so we can create this space. So he's giving Lot the choice. And then 
for a few verses, it switches gears to Lot and his perspective. And we see this slow regression into the world from Lot. See, Abram is being selfless and being a peacemaker. And the way Lot is looking at this situation is he's looking at it as, what's best for me? Verse 10, Lot looked about him. He saw the plain of the Jordan was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. Probably the Garden of Eden is what he's referring to. Uh, like the land of Egypt where he just come from. In the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord had destroyed Godom, Sodom and Gomorrah, which we're told as a side note there. And then verse 11, So Lot chose for himself all the plain of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. So they put Abram's plan into place, and they separate. And Lot heads out eastward towards Sodom and Gomorrah. So in verse 12, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the plain and moved his tent as far as Sodom. But this is what we're told about Sodom in verse 13. Now the people of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So in his selfish pursuit and desire, in his covetous nature, Lot says, I like that area. And he gets closer and closer to Sodom. And then in Genesis 14, we're told he winds up living in Sodom. He's putting himself in proximity with wicked people and people that are sinners. And so he's driven by that fleshly nature that he has. And then we see in Genesis 19 that God eventually destroys the place where Lot chose to live. And then in verse 14 through 18, Yahweh speaks with Abram again and he promises him, you're going to have all of this land and has him walk around it. And at the end of this chapter, the end of verse 18, it says, there he built an altar to the Lord. So Genesis 13 and verse 4 where I started, he returns to the altar where he first built this altar out of worship for, for Yahweh, for God. And then at the end of Genesis 13 and verse 18, he builds another altar. And what that signifies is that Abram had faith in God. He had faith in God's promises and he was going to continue to worship God. And there's a strong contrast in how this conflict is handled in Genesis 13 between Abram and Lot. Abram, as I said, is the reasonable peacemaker, but the way that he handles the conflict is driven by his faith in God. That's what's most important to him. That's what's primary in his life is building these altars and keeping his faith in God. While Lot, on the other hand, is focused on what's in it for him, what's best for him. And then we see him spiral downhill as we get towards Genesis chapter 19. So we read this story and it's actually out of all the crazy stories in the book of Genesis. This is not a bad one for handling conflict. We see actually a good example from Abram on how to handle it. Sometimes we just need to separate and to get our space to calm things down. But with all of these stories in the book of Genesis and in the Old Testament, the way I read them is I read them through the lens of Jesus. We just spent over three months studying through the Gospels. And every sermon I did was something from one of Jesus' life or his teachings or the death, burial, resurrection, Easter last Sunday. So I look at these stories and I just throw this name up there, Jesus. And what do we learn about conflict resolution or dealing with people and people problems from Jesus? And the invitation that Jesus gives us 
is to deny ourselves daily and pick up our cross and follow him. The path that Jesus offers for us is the way of the cross, the path of the cross. So we take Abram as a good example. He handled this conflict well, but we view it through the lens of Jesus. And he invites us in the way of the cross. So there's two questions I want to just leave you with to think about as you ponder this in your own life and in your family. For one, right now, as we shelter at home, how do we glorify God in our homes right now when there is going to be conflict? Maybe we need to take Abram as an example and just say, hey, let's separate a little bit. Maybe we need those times. Maybe in light of the Jesus story, we need to offer a little grace and forgiveness. We're all imperfect. We all have our flaws. We all have a way of pushing other people's buttons and we all have our own buttons that get pushed. So maybe we, in our homes, we, could, we would do well if we offered a little grace and forgiveness. And I, I can tell you, there's been times, even over the last few weeks, where I've had to rely on grace and forgiveness from my family towards me because I haven't always handled things well. So how are we handling this conflict in our own homes right now And then even beyond that, bigger picture is how are we being prepared for when we do go back to real life? And we know that when we get back around people, it'll probably be really exciting at first. Hopefully we'll celebrate. But when you get back into the routine of work and school, naturally what's going to happen is you will continue to encounter people problems. So how are you being prepared right now in your home life How's the Holy Spirit working on you and cultivating in you the spirit of being a peacemaker? And taking these examples that we see from Abram and we see from Jesus, knowing that when we go back to real life, we will have to deal with people. There will be conflict, but hopefully we can come out of this changed people. I don't want to come out of this the same person. I want to be a different person. There is that gap from how mature we are now to how mature we should be. And hopefully during this time, God is working on us so we can begin to close that gap. So what is peace? I started this by asking you to imagine peace. And I told you that uh, the experiment that was done on that audience that one day, that for them, peace was the absence of people. But I would say peace is not the absence of people. Peace is the presence of God in the midst of all of our mess. And God can do a lot with the messiness of our lives. And we're offered this invitation to follow the way of Jesus. And it begins in baptism. You see this baptistry right behind me. It's been used in the last week several times. And if you're at a place in your life where you desire to put on Christ in baptism, just contact us. If you're at a place in your life where maybe things are a little out of control in your home life right now, take a deep breath and seek some help. And keep praying and stay faithful. And you're going to hear about a way that you can reach out for help if you need to. And I'm going to invite one of our elders, one of our shepherds, Jim Green. And he's going to come up here and talk about that and a few other things and close us out in prayer.